Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs and tell their stories for an audience of other entrepreneurs. And one of the things that people have noticed about me is I pry sometimes into per people's personal lives. Adam, are you a little nervous that I might ask you about your background, your childhood, your relationships? You seem okay with I it. Think it's all out in the open anyway. If, if I guess you could do enough Google searches at, at this point. <laughs> you know, and I just spent, um, I spent a few days talking to a past guest media relations person about how I got into personal stories that he didn't feel comfortable with. I intentionally, I don't try to do it where, where I go beyond, but I, I do sometimes go into people's personal lives and I promise I'm not going to ask you about stuff like I don't know, nothing too personal. But I have learned a few skills about how to get personal with people. Unbound sponsored me. They said, Andrew, we just want to throw money at you. Just say the word Unbounce, we'll give you money, do whatever you want. I said, don't you want me to use your, your landing page software or anything? They said, just do whatever you want. I said, great. I'm going to write out some of the things I learned about how to get people to be open in conversation, have meaning and depth in conversations. How about you just create a landing page? They said, great, we'll create the whole thing for you. So if you want to know some of the techniques that I use to have conversations that go deep, even with strangers like Adam who never saw me before, and hopefully he'll he'll uh, enjoy this conversation. If you want to know how I do this stuff, go to unbounce.com slash Mixergy, unbounce.com slash Mixergy. I'm thankful to them for sponsoring. And in this interview, we're going to ask uh, Adam Modeski, not personal information about his life, but I'm, though I might ask a little bit, I'm fascinated by what Adam's done. Adam's a guy who worked for a company called Tell Me Networks. This one of the original like Siri by phone. You would dial it up and this thing would read email to you. Am I right, Adam? That's right. It was, was freaking ahead of its time. Yeah. Sorry? That was actually the first application that I ever built out of college. Uh, what, not you built that? Sport, yeah, so I think my, my little claim to fame, and I don't know if it's a true claim to fame, but uh, I Interactive voice response of this market where Tell Me played was in the very early days. Um, there was a lot of uh, other groups doing this type of voice, you know, interactive voice response technology. One of the first companies I worked for, Oracle, had a voice lab in Chicago, actually in okay. the Sears Tower, called the Willis Tower now. And this is where we experimented with these type of voice applications. The first application that we ever built over the phone, and this was like, uh, I think, year 2000 or something like that, was access to email. So somebody, a big executive, can drive from his house. That was the yeah. first request, the first use case. I have a long commute to my house. I get stuck in traffic. I just want to drive and I want to listen to my emails being read to me because I have so many of them in the morning. And that was sort of the genesis of this kind of voice access uh, I've email. I've talked to people who've done that and they paid for that, right? Wasn't it a paid service? Yeah. Or yeah, yeah it, was part of, it was part of a suite, but yeah, it was included in there. It's killer stuff. You were part of that. What I'm fascinated by is that whole tell me experience. I want to know a little bit about that. And I also want to find out about your current company, Sensely. I went to Sensely. What's the URL? Sense.ly, right? .ly? Yep. .ly or Sensely.com. I see this. Um, I, I know you might not want, what do you want me to call her? Virtual health assistant. She was like a nurse, but she was yeah. a, a mechanical nurse, like a robot like type of thing. It was an, uh, I don't know. Avatar. Mm-hmm. And I, she said, what are you feeling today? So I typed in just some random thing and then she responded. Anyway, that's his business. The company is called Sensely. Adam Modeski is here to talk about how he built it, how he's getting customers for it, and uh, probably to try to get me to not ask him about his revenue, but I am curious about how well this business is doing. And we could do it. Uh, actually, you know what? Thanks to two sponsors. The first was Unbounce, I mentioned. The second is HostGator. I'll talk about them later. But Adam, let me ask you this as a first question. 
I go to the site. I type in, she says, what's, what are your symptoms? I said, headache. She immediately jumps into, let's check to see if you have COVID. Can we go through a list of questions? Why jump to COVID right away? It could be a headache. My kids or my wife are giving me a hard time. Why jump to that? Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, one of the ma- biggest traffic jams or the ba- biggest sort of uh, uh, spikes in our usage that we experienced is right after COVID started you know, becoming more prevalent. Uh, and many, like a large percentage of people started using Sensely in the symptom tracker to check about COVID. So the decision was made to basically, let's make this as easy as possible. And let's also create awareness for these symptoms uh, in, a, in, in a way that uh, makes the most sense uh, to the community. Um, so we put in like a COVID branch into the conversation just to let people know, hey, this could be COVID. You should really check this out because if you have this pattern of symptoms, then, hey, let's, let's get you isolated. Let's get you, you know, to take a test, whatever it is. Uh, so the you idea noticed was, that was, COVID let's was- capture as many people as possible that we can, that we have access to uh, with these type of symptoms uh, and really kind of try to help the community, the, com- the various communities that we serve in this kind of way. And it's because you noticed that people were coming in and that COVID was an issue. And you said, you know, let's have our system biased towards at least addressing COVID, right? That's right. We wanted okay. to let people know uh, it was it was part educational, part sort of uh, kind of let's capture the, as much of this population as possible if they do in fact have COVID. Okay, uh, and, and most- so- most people will not be going onto the Sensely website in order to do what I did. I was just demoing it for myself. That's Most right. people will be customers of, say, Kaiser Permanente, the insurance company that also owns hospitals, right? Yeah, it would be one of those, or it'd be the National Health Service in the UK. It'd be one of the uh, insurance companies around the world, like Allianz or AXA. They're uh, your so customers they could- and their clients, their insured uh, members are the ones who would be using this chat experience. And so what would they go to maybe a Kaiser Permanente or their insurance company's website and then see a little chat bot that pops up and that's how they interact? Yeah, it depends on um, the company and how they deployed this virtual nurse or virtual assistant uh, to their membership. So some of it's through inside an app, some of it is on a website, some of it is inside like a chat bot. Uh, service uh, that they may be promoting. Uh, some of it can be using the Sensely app directly, but it's it's primarily white labeled and it's a as you mentioned like a B two B two C. So we sell uh, or we provide the service to primarily you know large health organizations, insurance companies, uh, pharmaceutical companies around the world, and then they make it available via their own channels or their own uh, you know digital assets to their members. Because if they could diagnose something without sending the person to a nurse or bring them into a hospital, they save money. And if they could diagnose something earlier, then they save money. Am I right? Close. Yeah. I mean, we don't actually do the final diagnosis. Um, I think that's kind of a, a risky uh, proposition to be able to down, uh, download somebody uh, something like super correctly without a human being present or a, a human evaluation. The primary purpose of these systems is to do uh, what's called steering, right? To navigate these patients to the right care at the right time, perhaps in, you know, with various insurance companies at the right at the right level of cost. And so if you look at the National Health Service, for example, we're, what we're doing there is basically shifting people away from high cost services that those patients don't really need, like emergency rooms, uh, perhaps some doctor's appointments, into lower cost services they can resolve their issues faster, like telemedicine, urgent care, self-care, et cetera. So the idea is to basically shift away from those higher cost services and save money along the way. Okay. I kind of wish that one medical, I love one medical. Do you know them? Yeah. You pay like a couple hundred bucks a month right. and then you get to see a doctor whenever you want to. You do telemedicine, you do chat-based mm-hmm. medicine. If you go into their office, they're never late. They have great mm-hmm. Wi-Fi. 
I just, they have so many different options. I never know which one to pick. And then if I pick the wrong one, then they sometimes will tell me, well, you should actually come into the office for this. It's weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's what you're trying to do. They're able to offer that service at a really great price by being, by being able to offer a lot of this, these types of automated tools to give you peace of mind, to make you feel comfortable and secure. But obviously if, if we detect something or if they detect something that, you know, they need to see, to see you for, they'll obviously make the that, uh, you know, doctor or nurse available very quickly. You told our producer that it's your work in these previous companies, like Tell Me, where you said, I think we could be more empathic. We could actually add an avatar. What do you mean? What did you, can you mean an example of something that you noticed at one of these bigger companies that you worked for that made you have a better vision of how these chat interactions should go? Yeah, it's part, uh, having the experience in these companies, it's part, technology evolution that's gotten to the level kind of where we are today. But if you look at em- empathetic conversations, if you look at building trust, uh, if you're looking at, you know, being able to be convincing, uh, having like that human to human contact face to face, maybe on video a little bit, probably a little bit less is very important, right? Cause you have a lot of body language, you express, you know, emotion, uh, you express different, you know, different tones of voice. So that uh, it, specifically, if you look at a doctor, a doctor-patient experience, like the bedside manner, that matters a lot, right? Because people want to trust their doctors. They want to have, you know, the doctor tell them what they need to do and how to take care of themselves and how to be safe. Uh, And so as these interfaces that try to sort of mimic that very personal experience began began to be evolved, that's when I became interested in this voice space, having these phone-based conversations. And phone was the predominant channel. And, you know, for most of the time, you can only have audio conversations via the phone before smart smartphone games. But obviously audio has, you know, it's inherent limitations. Uh, you're not able to express, you know, uh, body language. You're not able to, you know, nod or do other type of things. And so, you know, as, as video, as smartphones, as these interfaces became closer and more intimate where you can do audio and video and, and imagery and everything else, uh, the idea was, well, how do we take this conversational interface further? How do we create more empathy using, technology that uh, is becoming very ubiquitous and people are using more and more of like smartphones. Um, And so that's where the idea of having an avatar sort of represent a character, we call it a brand ambassador sometimes, where the, the, you know, the the insurance company uh, creates this kind of persona, that persona resembles other personas or other sort of, you know, promotional characters like flow from progressive, right? Right. Or the Apple duck. You know, and the idea there is that this assistant that represents the company brand would build this emotional level relationship with you. It would show empathy. It would talk. It would listen. We use speech recognition to understand what the you know the patient is trying to say, and the you know the people are then able to trust more. So that's where the idea of like using this avatar sort of germinated from is like how do we how do we get closer? It was just you being impersonal but technical, but back at tell me and and efficient, and you're thinking I want to be more emotional, but. Where did the idea come from? Did you say I've got to target health companies or did you say that I want to find somebody who can use this more empathetic experience? Yeah. What was it? The idea of an app, the avatar came, came first as I was thinking of like, where do we take um, voice technology next? What is the next iteration? And there are two paths, right? That it went down. And I think the, the biggest path by far is it, it made itself into the, you know, the Amazon Echo and, and Google Home and become... It became an right. assistant, you know, in your living room. That was a, a great sort of leap, a frog leap from the phone channel being used for, you know, customer services uh, okay. uh, interactions. Uh, but the area that that I was really fascinated is how do we make it more graphical? How, how do we make this experience more human-like? With well, the goal you, eventually, like, hey, maybe we can build a really cool robot. But why'd the you idea go after of, insurance companies, though? 
They seem really yeah, hard. It's, it does. Um, well, healthcare is very, very hard in general. It's probably the, the toughest nut to crack, especially in the US in terms of industries to be disrupted. Um, and it's, you know, because it requires, you know, clinical input, technical input, design input, just a lot of different people working together. The thing about healthcare, though, is that when I worked at Tell Me, when I worked at other companies, and I looked at, like, here are the industries that were creating a lot of value for their customers or their clients really fast with these type of customer services and innovation technologies, healthcare was not in that, in that segment. And I was always wondering why healthcare was not there, because obviously you talk to your nurse, your doctor, your healthcare administrator all the time. You're always trying to kind of get help. Uh, and and <laughs> a lot of times you can get the run runaround. It's like the perfect industry to be disrupted with these kind of services. Um, and, you know, I, I, I kind of started looking in the healthcare industry. That's when I first really started looking at the healthcare industry and try to identify what's driving the costs, what's driving the reimbursements, what's driving the, these these kind of healthcare services. And a lot of the, the initial services, they had to be face-to-face, that you have to go out literally and see a doctor in a facility face-to-face in order to get the service that you needed. And so, and there's so many different workflows and tasks like that, that I said, well, this is a great space to start working in and disrupting it. But what's more important as well that is that trust element. So I partnered with um, with a clinical uh, with a clinical doctor, my my co-founder in the company in Sensley, Dr. Ivana Schnorr, and she's been also studying avatars, but in a different way in this, in in the space of virtual reality uh, and therapy, particularly like you know soldiers coming back from Iraq and these type of PTSD situations. Uh, and she also noticed that when people are in, their, in this kind of virtual world with avatars, uh, and they're sitting there side by side like you would with your therapist, um, people become uh, much more relaxed, uh, and they are more open and honest with how they describe their issues and the things that, that that's on their mind. They, it's it's a little bit more impersonal, but at the same time, they don't have that same fear of judgment yeah. that you would if you're particularly uh, sitting next to somebody face to face. And that was a very important kind of insight about how these avatars can work in real life, because there is a real kind of reduction in the fear of judgment. So people are more open and honest. Meaning, if in, in a healthcare situation, you can get a lot more information. Uh, and you can understand more of what they are actually seeking and, and how they're feeling. And that idea of actually creating that level of trust is like, oh, this is perfect. Healthcare industry really needs this type of automation. And oh, by the way, it really needs to have deeper level empathetic uh, doctor type conversations with his patients. So this is a great application of of these kind of technologies being put together in this way. So I'm trying to think of something that I wouldn't feel comfortable just chatting over without seeing a person's face. Is there an example that you have that you could of a, of a issue somebody would feel better or more willing to talk about in depth if they saw an avatar? Yeah, there's. I mean, it's issues that are considered to be perhaps at the very kind of base level, kind of embarrassing. Like what? Uh, perhaps is an STD kind of issue, or but, some sort of. Uh, God. Let's take an STD, for example. So if I'm yeah. worried that I have an STD, mm-hmm. I would feel better going into a chat bot than to a frequently asked questions section. Is that it? Well, there, it's a very different, um, those are very t- t- two different use cases. So let's put it that way. I would say you would feel probably more safe going to a non-personal source of information than a personal source of information. Ah, okay. So it's not about talk health. somebody, talk to Got a human it. and reveal to them about this STD. With regards to like informational source and a navigational source is a little bit different, right? Informational sources, sure, I can go and I can read about it. I can figure out what to do. But the way that uh, we wanted to handle things in terms, particularly in the healthcare industry, we wanted to take action. 
and there's sort of a business model to take action. There's an efficiency to take action. So now that I can impersonally reveal any kind of embarrassing or perhaps it's you know a you know privacy related type of issue uh, to the chatbot, we can actually do something about that algorithmically, right? We can take you through this conversation, and then we can recommend based on this interview and this or this uh, conversation, we can recommend a very concrete, very actionable next step to have get you on your way to proper treatment of that issue. And that's where sort of the that 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 workflow, if you will, or that that puzzle comes together. You know, the U.S. Army had a chatbot long ago, and mm-hmm. I remember reading about it. And men did not feel comfortable asking before they came into the army certain things like, how much mm-hmm. underwear, how many pairs of underwear should I bring? Right? It just felt mm-hmm. a little unmanly and childish to go and ask, but yeah. they want to know. And that was one of the top questions being asked of the chatbot. And that's what you're talking uh-huh. about, that they wouldn't want to talk to a human being about it, but they are searching right. for the answer. We're not replacing a frequently asked section, but when they want to talk without having that super personal experience, this is this yeah. is the option. In fact, want to create. fact, the frequently asked section is almost like a lead-in or an invocation of having a conversation that Got then it. understands more and then allows you to kind of be more precise about the outcome or the next step that you recommend. Okay. So that was your vision. What's the first step you took to create it? So we built, the first step we took was we built the actual product. And uh, this is where I spent, you know, very early on in my career or in my career at Sensely. I spent a lot of uh, late night co- uh, late nights coding, uh, and um, the idea was to actually put this avatar and the voice interface to- together. Nobody's really done that at that point in time. This is like 2014, 2015. Nobody's put that together in a way that works great on on mobile. One of the reasons, uh, and this is, gets a little geeky, is that Steve Jobs basically killed Flash, and the best avatars at that point in time, like the you know the the, the nicer side of Flash, or the more kind of the 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 you know the kind of good reputation of Flash was that people were building really great kind of talking characters and avatars using Flash, but you couldn't get it on mobile. And so one of the, like the first major challenges of the, the, the step that we took was try to get this avatar and voice and this whole experience to work on mobile so we can get it uh, to as many scans as possible. So that's, that's our first step. We got the platform working. Um, and then what we built on that is basically a, an easy to use uh, conversational design interface. I want the avatar to say this, 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 and this. I want, based on these answers, I want it to do A, B, and C. So that was sort of the genesis of the first. And, and it's like a, it was like a flow chart, it seems like. You ask a question, you give people yeah. buttons, they press a button, it leads to another question with more buttons. Each button has its own next connection. And then yeah. if they don't want to read it, users can actually turn on audio and hear the avatar speak the, the questions to yeah. them, right? That's right. And they can okay. also respond back. Uh, oh, with respond audio. back? I could they respond back with full, my voice? They can have a full audio conversation. So on the web, you can't. Okay. Uh, we're, we're about to introduce that. But on mobile, so if you download the Sensely app, for instance, and you sign up with an account, you can actually talk to the avatar uh, and have a back and forth conversation. Oh, that's pretty And cool. one of the original uh, yeah. focus areas for us was on the elderly. And the other benefit of the, of the, of the avatar is that through our testing, and that this was with also very early, when we, once we got the avatar working, we started testing it with uh, with the elderly, and we noticed that their uh, their like their usage patterns in terms of how, how how often they come back to it per day and what kind of things they say to it increased quite a bit from some of the other like uh, mobile tests that other people have run. 
And so we thought like, hey, this is interesting. Let's talk, let's talk to some of these people. And they basically, the, the overarching comment was, you know, I really like when she's talking to me. I don't have to read anything. You know, I really like, the, I like looking at her. I like that she's talking to me. Uh, you know, my kids tried to get me in these text apps. I don't really like that level of, of mode of conversation. Uh, this is something I can actually like use and interact with. And so our first use case based on that kind of knowledge and experience was to deploy a chronic disease monitoring service where our interface, instead of navigating people to the right, uh, to the right level of care based on their symptom, it would take a patient that has, you know, congestive heart failure or COPD or diabetes, and it would then on their mobile device would follow up with them at a regular interval, just mm -hmm. having conversation with them, just chatting. You know, how are you feeling today? What's your pain level on a scale of zero to nine? Uh, you know, give me your blood, take your blood pressure from me. Could you step on a scale? We actually have connect, connected Bluetooth scale to the, to the app so they can uh, automatically read the information. And then that information just started flowing to us and then ultimately to, uh, to our clients, which used, started using nursing teams to like just monitor these patients. And so that became our first deployment. And this was that we deployed this first in Kaiser. We then deployed it to other hospitals around the world was actually monitoring these kind of patients. I'm curious that, about, I'm, yeah. before we continue, I'm curious about how you even got them. How'd you get your first customer? It feels like these are super enterprise customers, like yeah. really tough to get into, more involved sales process. What's the first one and how'd you get them to work with you? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of kind of very early on, a lot of frolicking deers, so similar to fundraising, right? The sales was uh, more ad hoc. And, you know, San Francisco and Bay Area in particular have a great, you know, a digital health community has a great, you know, medical community in general, UCSF, Stanford Medicine, mm -hmm. uh, Kaiser, et cetera. Uh, and, you know, back in those days, we just had a lot of meetups. I would meet people, you know, from various institutions. You would we go would to a health, healthcare meetup? Yeah, there were health, a bunch of these healthcare meetups. There was Health 2.0, which was kind of a, a larger meetup. Uh, we had, um, um, you know, various uh, kind of small group activity activity type of things, getting together at conferences and like the and pitching to investors, things like that. And eventually there's a few things bubbled up. I started meeting some UCSF professors. I started meeting some Kaiser people and started telling them about what we do. Actually, one of our first deployments was in the San, uh, Santa Clara Medical Center. Uh, and I met the person through the meetups and said, hey, there's a great, there's a wow. you know, guy that really would use it. So it was very personal kind of relationships and just kind of uh, networking very early on before we could really prove the value because even adapting these cases, like we had the platform, but we need to, to adapt um, the services to, you know, support heart failure, diabetes or whatever it is. Uh, and so that took a lot of co collaboration before our broader product was, was formed. Okay. And so the first, were, were they the first customers or the first deployment? Yeah. They were they signed up and started working with you because of this introduction. I thought it was the NIH that was the first one. It wasn't, it was more well, local than that. There's yeah. Certain things are public, not public. I think the UCSF relationship, we had a very mm -hmm. early on relationship with them that, okay. that that's public. Uh, and <laughs> primarily due to various PR teams, like guess risk tolerances. Uh, the NHS, I would say was NHS. our second largest, biggest customer. So Kaiser probably first NHS, uh, which is the national health system of the UK. Okay. Uh, they're the ones that really started focusing on this idea of patient navigation. Uh, they call it triage, right? Uh, where 
get a digital technology over to the patient, make sure the patient, before they book an appointment, do this conversation with the patient, and then only offer them the appointment if it's needed. You mean that's what they so were very doing before? sort of single-payer system way of thinking about it. Yep. You, would not, you would not get away with this in the U.S. Uh-huh. But the idea is that like, hey, we don't have – people have to sit, have to wait six weeks or more for these primary care appointments. How do we manage the flow and how do we manage the traffic in a better way? So we essentially become a healthcare traffic cop. And so they were, wait, they already had a human being doing this and you were able to offer them an alternative. Is that right? They have a service, what's called the one, one, one. Okay. Uh, and the one, one, one is a telephone line that you call one, one, one. And a nurse answers the phone, basically does the same thing that we do Yep. over the phone. Uh, and they had, and that was a very busy service also overflowing, uh, not very efficient. So the idea was like, how do we make the systems that we have more efficient? Okay. And so they, they want to make it more efficient. You sought them out. How easy was it to sell to them? What was the sales process to them? Yeah, it was a very, very complicated, very long. Um, we sought them out. We had some, we had a partnership with McKinsey. They really liked what we were doing. So they were promoting this and NHS is a big uh, customer or client of, of McKinsey. So they actually got us into the NHS initially because they were like, yeah, you guys are a systemic way to fix fix the healthcare, our broken healthcare systems, you know, and McKinsey's being hired by health insurance and healthcare companies to help make them more efficient. And so once they know about you, this is one of the, one of the benefits that they bring their clients. That's right. I I, I can make a joke about McKinsey, but I probably won't. But yeah, exactly. This is something that will just create this techno, it was technological efficiency rather than, you know, operational efficiency. Let's put it that way. I can. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, so that's sort of the, uh, the sales process, you know, um, I guess it, it's unique in a way compared to some of the other traditional insurance companies, enterprise procurement type sales processes, because this is a government system. Yeah. So there was a lot of government type of compliance work that we had to do, budgets that had to be relocated. We had to do like, you know, we had to fly over there. I don't know how many times we flew over the UK, maybe uh, several, I would say less than a dozen. Um, and, uh, it took us a a better part of a year, uh, and a a big investment from our own, just to kind of do the work, but we got it done. We knew it was a huge client. We knew it was like, Hey, if we can get a a health system that has 50 million people, 60 million people, that's going to really put us on the map. That's going to be like a pivot point from which we can go forward. Like, Oh, you guys have the NHS means we can trust you, which means you can scale, uh, to really, really large numbers means the compliance, the clinical regulation is really solid if you work with them. So it was kind of that that very high value reference that we're seeking. Imagining then your future, the way you're thinking is, well, are you, do you want people to eventually call in to 111 and then have have it handed over to Sensely? Um, I mean- Is that your future? Is that the vision? I mean, the vision, they probably wouldn't even call 111 to begin with because their perception of what this front door, this kind of entry point into primary care has already been changed. And I think COVID has really accelerated that bit where people don't necessarily think of the phone channel anymore. They're like, hey, my health system or my insurance company has an app. And I, I know that uh, the okay. app has very, very high level resources that where I don't have to call, call a phone number and wait out hold. Uh, but so we see that as ourselves as kind of even... Um, in front of that as the front door uh, to to the healthcare system. 
All right, let me take a moment, talk about my first sponsor, and then I want to come back and ask you a little bit about fundraising and how that worked out for you. My first uh, sponsor, first sponsor message for this interview. Actually, I guess this is the second one. Unbounce was the first one. Second one, HostGator. Listen, Mixergy is hosted on HostGator. Super easy to host with them, inexpensive. It just freaking works. And I've been using them for a long time. If you're getting started, and I know a lot of people now under COVID, Adam, I asked them about my numbers because I'm so obsessed. I said, HostGator, are people even signing up? How's it doing? They said, under COVID, people have been signing up more from your podcast. They're creating, they're experimenting, they're trying, they're ditching, they're trying again, they're taking off. And at times, frankly, they're closing it up, but it doesn't cost much money to get started with HostGator. It will scale nicely. If you're looking to get started right now, just go do something about it. Go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy, get your website. And when you use that URL, you're going to get their lowest possible price. It's at hostgator.com slash Mixergy. Let's talk a little bit about fundraising. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I emailed you earlier today about the fundraising article that I read from last year where you guys brought in, mm-hmm. what, $15 million? Mm-hmm. The first dollar in was from where? Into this, uh, into that into particular Sensely, Yeah, the first investment. The first investment, well, Sensely as, as, as a concept started in a big telecom company called Orange. Orange? Which is a uh, kind of the largest uh, telecom company in, oh, in really? France. Yes, you were working so for I, them. I was working for them. Okay, as a kind of product manager, entrepreneur, entrepreneur, and so that's where I built the initial concept. And okay. um, it was really cool. It started getting these sort of customers in the U.S. market, and Orange said, Let, "Let's just spin you out into a separate company." Oh and so wow! Formed a spinoff. So technically, Orange put in sort of the initial investment. So then was it, was it, it was your idea inside of orange. They have some kind of skunk works department. They do, but it was you saying, Hey, look, here's a big area. No one's focused on it. We have the expertise. Let me go and create something. See where it goes. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Exactly. Ah, Got it. Okay. All right. And so they put in money into it. You start to build it out. You then start getting customers in the Bay area, even though they're a French company, were you working? Where were you working? Well, that's one of the issues issues that uh, that occurred is that I was working in San Francisco. I was in their sort of uh, research lab slash partnerships lab, their uh, lab that they have in San Francisco. Okay. And uh, the concept was built there, uh, got a lot of internal attention, um, but it felt like it was taking off in the U.S. where we're continuously getting these sort of U.S. U.S. interest. And they didn't, and Orange didn't kind of, uh, since we we're like a cost center, rather than a PL, they were like, well, we can't really accept money from customers for this because we're not set up that way in this in this uh, in this world. You mean Orange uh, says you have to be a cost center. You don't have uh, we, we don't have the ability for you to yeah, collect the, income. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was not set up that that part of the, the company was not set up as a PL. It was outside okay. the PL was like a research division, uh, technically. So uh, this was a work part where accelerators were taking off. So they started like, well, let's. This is a really cool concept. It's getting interest and getting customers. Let's what's called excubate it. Okay. Like incubate something that's excubated. We incubate it here. Let's kind of push it out. And that's that was sort of me taking it out with my, with my co-founder. Uh, we did kind of legal agreement. Um, and uh, so the first dollar technically was in, in the project was with Orange. The second dollar after it was a separate kind of an independent company was from Alchemist Accelerator. Okay. And Alchemist Accelerator, I don't know if you know those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're, I think they're one of the top accelerators in the world. I mean, maybe number four, number five. It specifically focuses on enterprise. 
enterprise companies that sell to enterprise, uh, B2B. Um, and uh, we applied, we got in. It's a really cool uh, community of companies, of uh, mentors, advisors, et cetera. They gave, they gave us 50K uh, and a bunch of uh, lessons on how to do sales and how to build your business, et cetera. Okay. That was a really cool way to start building the company. You're not a sales background person. What did you learn about sales? Sales is very, very hard. Uh, enterprise sales, probably even harder. Yeah. There's a there's a huge difference between selling a consumer sort of widget type product versus selling a software solution. Uh, and actually, introverts do really, really well at long-term enterprise scales where the sales cycle is really long. Because sales cycles, be, it's like a project. It's not really a sales thing. You're you're actually spending, this is kind of unfair, but I guess it's the world works, right? The way the world works. But a lot of these, you know, B2B enterprise to enterprise sales scenarios, you're literally spending a year of your life working with this client without getting paid because you're meeting them, you're pitching to them, you're introducing, you know, ideas, all those things, all you're, you're meeting different people in the, in the company. And you have to be really conscious and aware of that that basically you really need to believe that the reward is going to be big and scalable and you're going to get something out of it. That's why we spent this time with the NHS and others. Uh, but it's really sort of building this very methodical way of building credibility, building the relationship with, at all levels of the organization, ultimately having them buy into the vision. What's interesting about our company that I find very unique is that when we do enterprise sales, we actually sell to three different constituencies. We sell to the marketing team, like, hey, you need you can build and create this new brand ambassador that's going to represent sort of your brand of how how your customers perceive you. Uh, we sell to the IT team, like, hey, we're going to be we're going to be inside your infrastructure. We're going to be doing machine learning. We're going to be doing conversations. You're going to be collecting all this amazing data, uh, and then it's doing the sort of the main sell to the business folks. You're going to save money. You're going to uh, you know do all these things, and so. All of these different uh, threads of the sale are extremely interesting, but also are time-consuming, long, yeah. and really ha- you have to really have your head in the game in order to execute it. This, this, that would drive me freaking nuts that I have to justify everything to every one of these people. None of them has a personal upside. It's not like they're going to get rich if they pick you, right? It's just going to improve a business that they're there to improve. So there's more yeah. more downside than upside for them. Um, You're and basically then, acting as their consultant. Like, why do you... Th- why do you think that it, that as an introvert, you do better with this type of sales process? It just, it, the thing is you're selling a solution. So you have to really, really understand, you have to spend a lot of quiet time really trying to understand what the solution could be that benefits, um, you know, the, the end client. Okay. Uh, and so, and you have to have like just a lot of patience, not something you can just talk your way into it has to be done very methodically over a long period of time and that's what we found as well like we had like lots of different sales guys on the team and the ones that like bubbled up are the ones that should kind of be very quiet actually they would kind of go to the room and do their thing super methodically and like and they do do it really well it's like hey don't it's like almost like an engineer he's like you see an engineer in front of their computer and they're working like inside they're trying to solve their problem or build their software and they're in their own world they're very you know they're very sort of uh into that world in a large enterprise type of client that has all of these different, you know, uh, threads and, and ways to uh, kind of push your solution across, it's almost like solving just a very giant problem. What are some of the ways that you learn to solve that problem for your client at Alchemist? What do they teach you? What's the process? Yeah, so we had um, 
we had access to different mentors and different like advisor type um, folks that would um, they would come in and really uh, it was set up where um, there was modules and some of the modules were around fundraising, how do you raise money? And primarily the companies were in like the between series seed and series A or pre some were pre-seed or their first money like us that we took in. Uh, so you would get a lot of education around fundraising because that was the thing that most companies were concerned about. Like, how do I, how do I take this to the next level? A 50K is all right, but it's not going to get me too far. Um, so that was I spent a lot of time on, on uh, meeting various fundraising experts and uh, getting taught that. Enterprise sales was a big part of the, a big module uh, in the uh, in our class or in our cohort uh, where we were around. You know, how do we sell? How do we target? How do we close these large? And you were just sitting there taking part. notes at this class, teaching you how to do it. It's basically kind of like a uh, like an executive MBA in a way, where you have these professors that have been exposed into this unique business environment, the startup communities, and they were basically taking their insights and trying to create, you know, education from it, the college education from it. Is there one uh, thing yeah, more that, that stood out for you that you learned from them about selling to enterprise? What did you learn that was in your notes that you actually used? Um, building the relationship and, and creating the solution, not to your problem, but to the problem that that enterprise is having. So like, what what are what are the metrics that you're trying to seek? Where where are you not you know not achieving your goals? With healthcare, is you know around cost or insurance? And which particular organization? This organization. What are the resources of this organization? So being able to really kind of like as what, what I said before, almost mathematically or architecturally, be able to convince them like here's how our solution will solve your solve your problem in year one, year two, year three. And these are the savings or the benefits that you'll get in each of these years. Make sure you build that story. And that story is very clear, crisp, and is defensible. Okay. And so that was one of the things. And never give up persistence. That was that sort of table stakes. Like these guys work in large organizations. They have a million things on their plate. You're like a little fly to them. You got to keep buzzing. You got to keep buzzing. Don't give up. Uh, and try to create sort of new ways for engagement or ask what's, for new ways for engagement. What's a good way for you to engage oh, with a customer? Well, somebody asks, like, give me a ballpark price. I want to know what a ballpark price is for, okay. the, for your product. Uh, thank you very much. Would love to get on the phone with you to outline the options and also understand a little bit more about your business, what you're trying okay. to achieve, how you're trying to achieve it. Let's set up an hour call. Uh, can I see like your APIs? Yes, here's our API diagram. We'd also be able to love to host a workshop with you and your engineering team and your IT team in order to educate you on how to integrate our product uh, and how to do it very quickly and easily. So every time they even give you an opening to have a deeper conversation, take it and suggest a deeper conversation. It's not, right. I want to know this number. You email it over to them. It's let's get on a phone. Getting, somebody on, the phone, getting uh -huh. somebody on the phone and getting them to invite more people and getting a ah. bigger audience. Every one of these things where they need something from you is always a way to get deeper and sort of build the engagement. What about if they don't reach out to you? What if they what if they've kind of gone cold and you need to uh -huh. get a reason for them to get on a call with you? I mean, this is where uh, some of the uh, the messaging apps are great. You know, the traditional business culture, right? You'd email somebody. There's no guarantee that your email is going to be returned. Um, in um, you know, you can you can give somebody a phone a phone call. People find it weird if they get a business phone call these days. 
Uh, so I'm like, hey, let's find this person on WhatsApp. Let's find this person on Facebook Messenger. And you would do that. You would just alone. WhatsApp them. Yeah, we just WhatsApp them. How do you not them? make it weird? I, I'd like to do that. Not I've anymore. Never, <laughs> it's just, hey, saw you on WhatsApp. How's it going? By the U.S. is completely normal. The U.S., you can still text them, like on their phone number, that they think that, you know, they'll be okay. But yeah. And it's okay Always to text somebody? A closer, closer way to get to somebody okay. without it being weird. <laughs> I, I wonder, so I've got a customer. Who, mm-hmm. uh, who bought from it? Screw it. What are they going to do? Drop out? It's LinkedIn. LinkedIn did really well last year. I know that their numbers ended up being stronger than they expected. They actually couldn't even satisfy all the all the uh, orders that came in from these from my interview. Mm-hmm. Then they they agreed to buy more and they went silent. And I'm listening to mm-hmm. other podcasts and they're not on there either. But I want to at least stay in touch with the woman who set up the ad. Mm-hmm. What do uh, do I just like pop in on text message and what do I even say? Check, check if she's on WhatsApp. Okay. Uh, just I'm say, sure hey, I can I find her even on iMessage. WhatsApp or like text. I mean, texting is great. And I don't think people think about it as weird anymore. It's weird. It's from a telemarketer, but it's not weird when it's more of a personal sales relationship. But then how do I fire it up again? Do I say, hey, are you ready to talk? Are you What's ready that? to talk about buying for me again? That's not the thing I would say. What, what would what would you say if you got uh, him on WhatsApp? Yeah, I think you'd ask about if it's the right time. You'd ask for, actually, the best way is to ask for a phone call. So you don't just, you get to the WhatsApp level, but really the WhatsApp level is the next level. Say, hey, let's talk on the phone. Let's catch up. I want to update you on what I've been doing. I want to know what your your timeline looks like. I mean, what I don't know what you're selling, but. <laughs> it's the ads on Mixergy. That's all it is. <laughs> just, they happen to advertise. So it could be something like. You know what I would what I would think is if we suddenly had an opening because somebody dropped out and there's a reason to do it, like mm-hmm. that happened last week, then just send a text message and say, hey, look, this person just dropped out. I think we could work. Or if there's someone who's reaching out, because we get lots of inbound, it's easier on my business. People mm-hmm. uh, send over messages about, I could send over a message and say, hey, this company that's very similar to yours just wanted to talk about buying an ad and and they would then become our our version of you. Can we get on a call and talk about whether yeah. you want me to lock it down? Yeah, if, if, whether if you're interested in holding, because I prefer to work like, with you. What is she, even if she, you know, he or she doesn't want to deal with you, what sort of value that you could offer that they will remember next time? Or uh, they will be able to act on. Like, and yeah, making an introduction is, is that bit of value for sure. Okay. All right. I like this a lot. Do you ever geek out on this? I'm looking- value, like with COVID, when COVID came out, right, we, we gave our COVID screening, our specialized COVID, free, uh, COVID screening away for free. Uh, and it was really easy to integrate. So people would pop in this COVID screening into their website. We built the relationship with them. And they're ultimately, some of them we upgraded to our full symptom checker. Got it. So there's something new that you're giving away or there's something new that's coming up. That's a good opportunity for you to go through and say, who else is out there that we haven't talked to in a while? We could reactivate with this. That's right. That's right. And Do with conversation, think- it makes it, you can slice and dice in conversations and make them very targeted and very specific. You know, COVID mm-hmm. is not a lot of content. It's not a huge product. There's, you know, some... Right. Uh, information there and some branching there based on symptoms, similar with vaccines now, you know, some information there. So it's not something that's hard to build. It's something you can just give away for free as a teaser to then hopefully then, you know, they'll, they'll integrate your product in just for that. And then ultimately you use that channel to uh, push additional products through. Adam, you've said several times that you're more like of an engineer in this interview. I, I read about how in the eighties you got into Lego, you're really into building, even as a kid, do you now as an adult feel like the same kind of interest in the sales part of the business or are you still heads down thinking, I want to create the software part? I hate that I'm doing this, yeah. but it's a price I pay for being. I mean, 
it's annoying to be persistent. It's annoying. It's annoying to be hustling sometimes <laughs> every day, depending on your mood, right? Like sometimes you just don't, don't want to do it. Like I really don't, I don't have the empathy to talk to this person right now or something like that. Um, but especially enterprise sales, there's a, there's an art and there's definitely a science to it. Um, and, and it's like value creation at this kind of level that touches millions and millions of people that I, that I find uh, absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Uh, as, and, and there's also a process to be discovered, which also is like involves a lot of experimentation. So yes, it's not, it's not engineering. It's not, uh, you know, um, kind of more of the tech sciences, but it is actually becoming, you know, I think Salesforce was one of the early companies to start automating, not automating, but start convenient, making some of these sales tactics very convenient for salespeople to be able to be able to track, to be able to follow up, et cetera. Uh, and so the, the art part of it is sticking around, but the science part of it is getting very well. It's my daughter here. She, hey, <laughs> my kids are coming in from school too. Yeah. <laughs> You're working from home? They just came back. How old are uh, your yeah, kids? Well, I'm working from a different, yeah, different place with my kids right now. How old um, are your kids? But, uh, uh, there's almost seven, uh, they're twins okay. and they have a, uh, uh, almost a year, uh, year old daughter as well. Wow. Are you, um, are you guys homeschooling now? No, they came back from school. It seems like they are still all remote. At this oh, they are. How's that going? What are you yeah. doing with that? Uh, we just have them in the dining room, basically on their tablets. And everybody else signs up and they do exercises. It's a nice court. I mean, they do pretty well. I just, I have, I don't have, I don't have a great comparison to how it would be face to face or person to person. Uh, I think it would be a better person to person, but it's not a total loss, I guess <laughs> that it's, uh, that it's all remote. I really loved when we were doing the Learned pod setup. The mm-hmm. pod was great. Hire teacher teaches two or three different. No, at the time was four different students. It was great. Mm-hmm. Then our, the private school that we were part of opened up. So we just switched into that. That was my mm-hmm. wife's idea. I was more into the pod. She's more into the private school. And so now mm-hmm. the kids are basically out, not basically, he's freaking outdoors the whole time, all day, even in the rain. It's pretty That's cool. Pretty but cool, Yeah, they're yeah. getting a lot of good outdoor space now. You live in the but city? I, but I want them to do, sorry? You live in San Francisco? Or? Yeah. Okay, cool. Are you here too? Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you which school afterwards where, where the kids go. And it's pretty, it's pretty interesting, but they're not doing math. I'm a math person. Send my kid to do math. I want him to do math. I want him to do more, more reading and writing. Instead, they're freaking climbing trees. He's identifying mushrooms, mm-hmm. um, like stuff like that. It's seeing animals in the park. Um, let's, let me just ask you about two other things before we end up, before we end this conversation. There was a period there where a customer pulled out and this pulled out. And then as a result, like uh, this whole set of dominoes, talk to me about that period in your life. Let's talk about that difficulty. Yeah. I think it was uh, around investment. I think is this, yeah. is the story is that, yeah, not to name a particular round or, or get too deep to it. We had a lead investor essentially in one of the rounds uh, that almost pulled out. Uh, and basically this domino effect that happened that the investor was about to commit to a follow on started, well, if this investor is not investing, I'm not investing. And the other two investors basically said uh, after them, like, we're not investing either. So the whole thing was basically underground um, ah. about the sort of main lead anchor uh, investor. And and that was one of the more stressful kind of, uh, I think, formative moments in the, in the startup's career where we basically had to, you know, like there's, there's a picture of the the startup person or the founder sitting by the phone begging for the phone to ring. Was that you? Yeah. You you told our producer you were begging. Were you literally to, at the verge of begging an investor to put money in? 
I mean, I'd have to probably analyze my language to see if it, <laughs> but it was borderline it enough that you have to analyze but, it. But it was definitely borderline. It was definitely, I was definitely felt like a little bit uneasy afterwards. I don't know if I <laughs> would do that with anybody, but yeah, it was basically kind of like, please, everybody else is here. We're running out of money. This whole thing is going to crumble. Wow. If you're, if you're a CEO, doesn't doesn't sign this thing and you know like if, i don't know why he wasn't signing i think it was like some you know so, uh, some issues that they were having with end of the year and they needed to cut their investments and and you know like any you know some of this bureaucratic stuff and they finally like that okay hey we can push it on to the next we'll push this budget on to the next quarter and we'll be able to do it it was um, very dispassionate and whatever <laughs> how much have you raised total about no. 27 27 and then Will you give me a sense of revenue right now? Or do you guys have real revenue yet? It's between, uh, I'd say it's between five and 10. Okay. I can say that. All right. And, and I'm guessing the is, well, what do you think is the vision for the long term for this? What are you thinking Sensely is going to look like five years from now? Yeah. I mean, we, we have always had the vision and kind of the mission of about being kind of a global, a global health assistant. This this sort of entity that serves yeah. provides this type of front end healthcare to billions of people worldwide. Um, initially, we thought it was going to be a single channel, like our app. It's going to be like everybody's going to have our app in the world, mm. and we're going to be like the kings or whatever. Um, yeah. What we learned along the way is that the real kind of uh, the people that uh, or the companies really, really that have the close relationship to patients and members are these uh, insurance companies. Uh, that obviously have an incentive to reduce costs and to improve outcomes, hospitals, insurance companies. So we see the seed, our technology, our conversational technology, our avatar, our assistant technology being embedded into these end user devices that different regions of the world, different companies of the world operate of us being sort of like the Intel inside. And so, so being that leading Intel inside health assistant platform is where we really want to be. In the next few years, and whatever their app is, they're going to use you as that di- the thing that the that that directs their customers to the right, right area. Com- engages, uh, converses, and then navigates. So. All right. For anyone who wants to go check you out, I think that the best way for my audience to get a sense of what it how it works is to go to s- actually I would say sensely.com mm-hmm. slash product, right? Because if you're there on the bottom right corner is is this woman, this avatar? What's her name? Molly, right. you said? Molly, yep. Exactly. I can hit play here. I'm going to hit play. Let's see if yep. I'm muted. Which one would you like to try? I don't know. You can hear it. There you go. And there she is. And then I just picked the one that I have. Let's say I have diabetes. I hit diabetes. And then she's going to respond Hello back. And welcome to your diabetes program. There you go. There you go. And then she goes right through. I'm going to hit mute just so we don't get this on the mic. All right. I want to thank the two sponsors who made this interview happen. By now, everyone who's listening to me knows that my site is hosted on HostGator. And if you have a site for yourself, you should host on HostGator too. Go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy. And if you want to hear some of the techniques I've used to have uh, better conversations here in these interviews and away from them, I wrote this little guide. I'm kind of interested in see what people think of it. If you go to uh, Mixergy.com, no, unbounce.com slash Mixergy. You'll see that great landing page that Unbounce created for me and you'll get that guide. And um, I'm looking forward to your feedback. Thanks. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, everyone. Bye.